it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome back to The Crown and Anchor Greyhounds. This is Richmond Till We Die, a conversation about the Apple TV Plus show Ted Lasso, where we explore the characters, their relationships to each other, and how they're able to make us laugh until we can hardly breathe one moment and then feel with the deepest parts of our hearts the next. I'm Brett, and my co-host Christian and I are so excited to welcome Dr. Diana Butler-Bass for a conversation on this special bonus episode. Diana Butler-Bass is an independent scholar who writes on American religion and culture. She is the author of 11 books, many of which have won research or writing awards. Diana Butler-Bass earned a PhD in religious studies from Duke University in 1991 with an emphasis on American ecclesiastical history, meaning she studies the history of the church in America. As an award-winning author, popular speaker, inspiring preacher, and one of America's most trusted commentators on religion and contemporary spirituality, Diana Butler-Bass has been sought out for contributions from many prominent publications and media outlets, including The New York Times, The Washington Post, CNN, The Atlantic, USA Today, Huffington Post, Reader's Digest, Christian Century, and Sojourners. Her work has also appeared in outlets such as CBS, CNN, PBS, NPR, Fox, Time, Newsweek, The Rolling Stone, and multiple global news outlets. She has written everywhere. Each of us on the Richmond Till We Die team has appreciated her work for years, and we were excited when we read a Ted Lasso essay that she published in her online newsletter called The Cottage. In this particular reflection, she wrote about how her favorite character in Ted Lasso is the Believe Sign. And if you haven't read it, you should definitely pause the podcast right now and go check it out. The link to the essay is in the episode description. This conversation is deep and rich and so much fun. We talk about hope and belief, community, found family, and the ways that we try to put hope or belief back together once it's been torn apart. And I think it's a great way for us to wrap up our conversations about season two as we look ahead to season three. And so, Greyhounds, everybody give a warm welcome to Dr. Diana Butler-Bass. Thanks for being with us, Dr. Bass. Well, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm excited about this. This is a little bit of a different experience for us because now that we've been at this for about a year, a lot of the folks that we interact with have been Ted Lasso fans for a while and have been enthusiastic for a long time. And so it was fun to see you discover the show via Twitter Um, And so like at this point, as the show has been out for a couple of years, what finally brought you in and what kept you in once you started watching? Well, it's, you know, kind of funny because I 
was introduced to the show through Twitter. You know, I started noticing that a lot of people who follow me would be talking about this thing called Ted Lasso, and I had no idea what they were talking about. But then I discovered it was on Apple TV, and I'm kind of a cheapskate. And so <laughs> putting on all these different streaming services, I just thought, oh, I'm going to skip it. I don't need another streaming service and more distraction to my life. But my daughter, who's 24, and started watching it. And she is both a huge football fan. She's a Tottenham Spurs fan. Yeah. She loves oh, yeah. Tottenham. Spurs fans in the house. <laughs> and she also loves Mumford and Sons. And so she started talking about this show and she said, mom, dad, you got to watch it. You got to watch it. And so finally we just sort of gave in. And by the end of the first episode, I was completely won over. So I wound up watching the two seasons basically in like four days. (laughs) (laughs) That's a pretty quick pace. What's the last show What's the last show you binged before you binged Ted Lasso? Like, are you a binger in general or was this out of character? I am kind of a binger, but most of my binges have to do with murder. So (laughs) so I I kind of had moved during the pandemic to sort of those darker shows, lots of thrillers, things like that. And um, my husband is like, oh, my gosh. Don't, are you watching another murder show? You are just wow. such a stereotype. <laughs> and so, so it was good to binge something that had nothing to do with blood and gore. <laughs> it sounds like you and our co-host Marissa would be, uh, you know, kindred spirits in that respect, because every night from about, you know, 10 p.m. until we fall asleep, it is it's some murder show, typically a British or Australian like serial, like murder type of show. And yeah, it's, um, you know, it's great stuff to fall asleep to. Yeah. You know, that's real, that's really what it soothing. would have been for me. That would, I think the fall was probably the last thing I binged before Ted Lasso. Have you done oh, some yeah. of the more quirky ones like Agatha Raisin and things like that, that are like BBC shows and. No, I haven't. Oh, I'll have to do that. I recommend that one. That's one that I do enjoy watching alongside her though. Those aren't really my bag. <laughs> so since you you made this transition from murder shows to a, a less murdery show, what at what point did you know like oh I am totally here for Ted Lasso and I am not going to be able to stop watching this show? Well, I have to confess it it made me happy. Crazy, <laughs> and, and that's just that was what kind of got it. I kind of felt sorry for Ted, you know, yeah. just seeing the outsiderness and you know here's this guy who's who has been brought into the situation where he's clearly over his head. So I had all this sort of kind of mom sympathy, I think towards him. (laughs) Uh, But then I, I did, I just, after I watched the first episode or two, it made me happy. And I thought, well, that's a kind of an odd feeling after the last couple years of everything we've been through. So I, I, I liked the, I liked the way it made me felt and feel. And so, so, um, so I just kind of kept with it and, found myself going more and more towards that direction, you know, just rooting for these characters and in effect kind of rooting for myself by rooting for them. You loved it so much and you were so invested in it that you then wrote about it uh, right after you had watched the show. And you took the approach of talking about the believe sign as a character, which was fascinating. And that got me thinking and then like going back through the show and thinking about where the belief sign shows up and how people interact with it and how even it's like um, 
unleashed, I guess, as a tool for action. And so what I realized was it's not always positive. Like there are times where um, Isaac brings the crew around and everybody touches the sign. Ted obviously puts it up to elicit positive reactions from people. But I'm interested um, in getting your thoughts and feelings on some of the ways in which the belief sign is utilized at moments of doubt and weakness and vulnerability. So we can take them all at once or we can walk through them, but there's the scene where Ted um, is talking to Nate and Beard and he's frantically searching his house for a believe sign. And you hear his like footsteps go upstairs <laughs> and downstairs and Nate's like, does he do this all the time? And Beard's like, oh yeah, he's got these things stashed all over the place. And he, he grasps for it in a moment of desperation. You have Roy by himself in the locker room, kind of um, a moment of, acquiescence, like acquiescing to belief and gently touching the sign. And then you have Ted comedically, speculatively pointing to the sign after he and Jamie talked to Roy and Ted's kind of confused as to the advice that Roy gave Jamie and just like, oh, I believe sign, I don't know, bye, and gets out of the room. What are your like feelings or reflections on belief when it's not simply something that we like hold on to and that powers us right away? I actually love the way that the believe sign is used um, throughout the whole show. And at first it kind of fits with, um, in effect, the thing that roped me in, you know, it's like, oh, this show is positive and these people are, are nice characters and they have values that you don't typically see on, on television shows. And so I liked all of that and having that believe sign there um, just seemed like, wow, you know, here's a TV show that cares about something I care about, you know, because since I study theology and church history. So so at first, it just kind of seems like a sort of a positive signal, almost like an icon or a Bible verse poster kind of hanging in the back. <laughs> but then you realize that the belief sign is functioning to raise all kinds of questions about Mm. who do we believe? What do we believe? Is belief more than just kind of a feel-good slogan? Or is it almost like a challenge? Or uh, mm -hmm. what's it doing there? And it is in those moments that you mentioned, and there are lots of interesting moments where people touch the sign or people specifically point to the sign or people reference the sign. But sometimes the sign is simply in the frame of the shot. Yeah. Um, I, I went back and I watched, uh, rewatched a whole bunch of the, the series this week, knowing I was going to be on with you guys. And it was striking to me how often the cameraman takes the choice of backing up to have that sign in just the picture when there's no reference to the sign at all, mm. but it's just behind the characters. And it's not accidental. Um, you, you know, you, there are no accidents in those kinds of um, visual framings. So it's, it's often there when it's not even there, as it were. And so that means it's important. And that means it's actually part of the narrative of the whole show. And that the questions it raises and sort of the angularity that it creates at different moments, I think are intentional and key um, to the writers uh, getting their points across. And also I think to help 
us understand some of the deeper dilemmas about, you know, maybe optimism in difficult times about who we are, um, you know, what is worthy of believing. Um, all, all these kinds of issues get raised. Well, I love that you direct our attention to even just the the visual aspects and the representation of the sign, because you're right. Like thinking back, there's there are so many times where there's a speech or there's just a scene playing out and like it's just right there. And due to the very handcrafted feeling of this show, the nature of the show, we have to believe that nothing is accidental. And if the belief sign is there, it has meaning. And so I, I just love that you you point us there. And then you talk about like how it's complicated and Ted himself even complicates it a little bit. I think when the in the in the final episode of season one, the hope that kills you, he they tell Ted, you know, it's the hope that kills you. And he kind of riffs off that quote. And he's he says at one point that I believe in hope and I believe in believe. And so how do you make a distinction in those areas between hope and belief? Or is there a distinction or how are they related, I guess, to you? Yeah, I, I think that uh, one of the major themes of the first season is the nature of belief. And the scene that Christian points out with uh, Ted running all over the house looking for the belief sign it is sort of a, a crystallization of that, that question yeah. about belief. And the, the way that I can explain this is uh, years ago when I was in a really difficult place, um, I think I was probably in my 30s. And I was having a lot of trouble with depression and anxiety, which is another reason I actually love this show. I've had anxiety, trouble with anxiety attacks through my whole life. And so, so anyway, I was having all this trouble with, with these aspects of um, mental wellness. And um, I got a, a little Celtic cross mm-hmm. that I used to wear um, and I would hold it anytime I was like having an anxiety attack. And uh, some of the worst anxiety attacks I had, this is a terrible thing for my life, were when I was in church or when I was at airports. <laughs> and so being, being a person who travels to speak in churches, it became quite mm. difficult right. <laughs> to manage my own life. It's rather like a, 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 a soccer coach, you know, not being able, having anxiety attacks <laughs> on the field. And so this little cross that I wore around my neck, it you know, you frequently, I would, you would see me playing with it, or I'd hold it when there was a lot of turbulence on airplanes. So I was going through an airport one time, and I was feeling very nervous. And I reached up and I to look for the cross, and it had fallen off. It was just gone. I have no idea. It's somewhere in that whatever airport that was. I think it was Dallas. And so I had to get on a plane without the cross. And when I saw that scene with Ted running around the house looking for the belief sign. It was like me running around the airport looking for my cross. There was some, there was something about it that I had to have the to- that token. Mm. And I had to be able to see it and feel it and touch it. And if I didn't, then there was some absence mm-hmm. of, in my case, some absence of comfort, some absence of trust, perhaps an absence of belief because I couldn't, I, the thing no longer had shape. Mm. And so I think that for Ted in that scene, what happens is it reveals that the belief sign is a little bit like that. Right. It's become almost like a little bit of an idol, mm. as it were. Yeah. That it has to be present in order for belief to be present. And so that franticness of that search is like, oh, oh. And then it's like, oh, I found it. And then you get the 
the sort of moment where they say, oh, it's, you know, it's, it's in his bathroom sign. So it's the first in his bathroom mirror. And it's the first thing he sees when he wakes up in the morning. And, uh, and that becomes, it means that belief in effect in that first season is a little bit more, it becomes almost like a talisman. It becomes almost like magic rather than real belief. It's almost like it becomes the way I, I guess I've seen it play out in real life outside of the show is belief becomes a word or a concept that's used to kind of like that can be used to strong arm people into certainty as opposed to what you're talking about, which is like belief as a transformational practice. You've written a book about gratefulness um, as kind of a similar transformational practice, I guess. Um, Do you think there's an overlap between those two ideas? Like when we actively cultivate a posture of gratitude, then something else is going on as well? Yes. I actually think that we use a lot of things in our culture this kind of way, um, is that Mm -hmm. we turn what are truly rich practices that make our lives deeper and better and, Mm. in effect, more complex. We often turn those things into these kinds of magic mantras. And so if you just say, you know, believe enough, if you just say hope enough, I mean, that was like the whole problem and the irony in some ways of the Obama presidency. Mm. I loved President Obama, but in effect, he became that hope sign. Yeah. And what was, I think, happening the whole time he was president was there was this sort of irony about hope is so much more than a sign. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's true for gratitude. Uh, and I have written a book uh, called Grateful. You know, some people literally think that if you just say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, that in effect that that mantra will change all the bad situations in your life. Mm. But the reality of gratitude is you really have to practice it, and that 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 practice has to change you. I love how you bring up again, the physical and the visual nature of the sign. And I I love that scene where Ted runs and like grabs the belief sign and shows it to Nate, especially because it was right after Nate says something to Ted, like it's impossible. But in your essay that we mentioned earlier, you talked about the connective tissue that is between these ideas of believe and beloved. And you brought in some of the work of the late scholar Marcus Borg. And in the closing paragraphs, you talk about how the show explores the theme of belief through the relationships between the characters uh, and the sort of aspirational nature of what belief can mean when it's in that context of a relationship between people. So what are some of your favorite instances in the show where belief functions that way? I think it's, it's helpful to sort of clear, clear the air a little bit about what the word believe means. Mm. And so in my essay, one of the things that I talk about is, is to quote Marcus Borg and he makes the point that, Believe is not just simply a, a sort of a word where we have to, you know, press into I'm going to I'm going to believe this thing and I'm going to make it true. or I'm going to believe something that's impossible to believe, which sometimes it seems like that's what they're saying, I think, on Ted Lasso. Mm. But the actual root of the word believe is related to the word beloved. And so believe also means the things that we trust or the things that we're devoted to or the things that we we love, uh, that we hold in that kind of esteem. And so in that sense, uh, belief isn't just sort of summing up 
some sort of uh, emotional ability to be able to embrace what is impossible. Um, You know, I'm going to believe 10 impossible things before breakfast sort of thing. And putting our our whole, you know, kind of intellectual life aside and say, okay, I'm going to believe in this fairy tale or what have you. But but that belief actually takes takes work. And so we were talking about that vis-a-vis practice, um, you know, a couple minutes ago. So I think that what happens with Ted is that sometimes when he's talking to other people about belief, he's he's learning that about believing himself, um, you know, because because the interesting thread, of course, is that through the whole that his life is falling apart. I mean, he may have believed that he and his wife were going to be together forever, or he may have believed that he was a great spouse or that he was the best father that was ever created. But the truth of the matter was, is that something happened there where no amount of belief about the situation regarding his marriage was going to save it. And so I think that's why we start getting this kind of level of desperation uh, with the believe sign. It's a little like me running through the airport looking for my Celtic cross um, because somehow right. if I just hold on to this thing, it's going to fix everything. And so I, I think what's happening in the show is that the whole nature of belief is actually uh, changing um, as as we're going through it and that Ted himself is growing uh, vis-a-vis belief. A quick follow-up on that. We talked a few times already about how Ted runs to grab the little sticky note that says believe and Nate is present for that. So he, you know, this is another demonstration of how important this idea, this talisman, as you called it, how important it is to Ted. So it makes it all that much more sad and poignant when Nate makes the decision to rip the sign and leave it on Ted's desk at the end of season two. Do you think, can this perspective of believe that you've shared or articulated do you think that that can be mended after being broken or betrayed? And what might that look like generally? Well, that's the feeling that, you know, I was left with at the end of the second season. It's like, oh, my gosh, you know, where do you go from here? Mm. And um, that this thread stretches through both seasons, I think, is really, um, you know, compelling because it isn't just that, you know, Ted at the end says, I believe, I believe, you know, I believe in hope. So there's that I believe in belief piece. I, I often am thinking about the scene where they lift the curse and there's, you know, there's they're standing around and they're putting all of this stuff in the garbage that they're going to burn. And it reminded me, actually, of so many friends of mine who were like evangelicals uh, <laughs> back in college. You know, you would take something that you loved and you would burn it as a way of sort of showing that you really had this particular kind of new faith. And um, that's, it was, it was remarkably. Buy Britney Spears CDs. <laughs> that's right. It was rock and roll, usually rock, rock and roll records when I was uh, in college. Um, but you took something that you loved and you put it on the fire and it was sort of a way of proving your allegiance. And it's somewhere in the course of that episode that Ted actually says that he is by nature a believer. And so I think in the first season, you know, he's acting out of that a lot, uh, his nature as a believer. But then by the time you get to the end of the first season, you're kind of questioning, well, wait a second, um, what kind of believer are you? And I as I think the whole thing with the desperation, with the talisman of the sign is a little bit 
of Ted's faith starting to fall apart, just as some of the people around him seem to be, you know, they start to believe in themselves a little bit more. And maybe they're believing in the community and they're believing in the team and they're believing that things can happen that they didn't know could happen. And, 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 And so Ted is beginning to... I think question his belief and the the end of the second season I don't think can be separated from the first episode in the second season and I love it's it's really kind of funny and and painful you know that they've had whatever it is six or seven ties and they haven't won a game yet right and so it looks like they might actually be able to finally win this game and Nate's First, first, really words in the second season are, "Is it okay if I pray?" And then Ted turns to Nate and says, "Well, to which God and in which language?" Which, I, which is a, a great question. And then, of course, you know the the dog R.I.P. Get, gets killed. <laughs> <laughs> so poor Earl, you know, he goes down with the with uh, Danny's kick, and. I think the first time I watched it, I was just so horrified, like, oh, my God, the <laughs> dog is going to get killed, that I didn't stop and really think about it. But, you know, so much contemporary sort of snarky literature, dog is a stand-in for God. Ah, interesting. And so, so in effect, what happens in the first episode is God dies. And I just went, Oh my gosh, it's about the death of God. It's about the death of one kind of belief. And that's exactly what happens in the Mm. second season is that that particular really optimistic talisman kind of belief that actually dies, that dies Mm. in the the second season. Yeah. And there's, I think that's why a lot of people struggle with the second season. They don't really like it as much because it isn't really as cheerful at all. We tend to agree. (laughs) Right. But because it's about the death, I think it's about the death of dog. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And and so, so you ask about the, the sign. It's like, well, after faith dies, after belief dies, where do you go from there? Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sort of hanging on the edge of my seat because, I'm not sure where the writers will go with that, except the only possibility is an entirely different kind of belief. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. 
Sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. There's this dance that's going on, and it's one that like you're particularly well-suited to comment about because you have all of this work that you've done in church history, but you're able to apply what you've studied to the present and kind of look toward the future and look at like trends in religion and spirituality. And so in season two, like you have this death of belief, this death of God. But then at the same time, like the dance is happening in some sacred spaces and also a negotiation of what is a sacred space and whatnot is the Euro shop, is the kebab shop a sacred space? But then we do go into the church for the funeral. We do go into an actual church building um, in Beard After Dark. And what I noticed is that, like, when people go into those spaces, nobody's comfortable. Like, be it because they don't have the right things to wear, because they haven't been there for a long time. Like, maybe something has happened that makes them uncomfortable in those spaces. And yet, transformation still happens in those spaces. So what is it about, like old buildings, churches, places that have been used for worship that can be transformational, even if we have a lot of walls up around institutional worship? I think that's a really great question because they are awkward. And there's a way of reading a lot into that. And I think that, you know, that's the kind of thing that I love to do since it's my work. But uh, (laughs) there's another way of just saying that they're uncomfortable because they're English. Oh, you know, and the truth of it is, is that the Church of England has been in decline for a really long time. Yep. And the English are particularly awkward when it comes to religion in the 21st century. And so it's uh, interesting to me that, you know, they're just these are people who have lived inside of a society for a really few decades, even a couple of generations now. Right. That is mostly post-religious. Uh-huh. And so, I mean, so Ted comes in with this kind of awkward Kansas, Oshock, talisman, magic, hopefulness kind of thing. And he he runs into all of these really cynical, post-religious English people who don't even know how to act in a church. And as a matter of fact, they wind up just Rick rolling a funeral. <laughs> and so, <laughs> Gloriously. And it's wonderful. And, and you know, I like, theologically, I think the Holy Spirit actually shows up right in that moment. So I think the awkwardness is right around that. You know, it's like, well, what do postmodern, post-religious people do with categories around belief and categories around dog, you know, as it were? So, you know, what do you do about categories around dog when you can't even, you know, really in public in England say the word God? Yeah. I mean, that that's, that's problematic. And so it, it's interesting that church becomes... I think in the show, you know, just such a, a physical space of awkwardness. So with Beard, he goes into the church. And he does have some sort of experience there, even though he feels really awkward about it. Right. He, like, knows what to do. Yeah. He, he just pr- is super uncomfortable doing it. Yeah. He prays. He, you know, he he knows where to sit. Um, you know, he clearly thinks it's pretty, you know, and it's also a place of safety, in, in certain regards, vis-a-vis it's raining and this is awful outside and all this sort of stuff. So so I think that that is some of the good of church. 
but then once he's there, what's really funny is that the church is really just sort of a, you know, it's, it's a gateway to a club. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so I think that there's a, I, I, I looked at that scene over and over and over again. I thought, that's really interesting. You know, it's like there's church in this really conventional way. But then there's also something else, a different kind of community, a different kind of music, a different kind of way of reconnecting, a different sort of uh, <coughs> relational space in the in the basement, as it were. And so, so I kind of wondered, you know, are, is that just kind of a riff on saying what happens upstairs is is bad, and uh, what is downstairs is the real thing, or is it just kind of an amusing way to? This guy's a club, you know, I, so right. I, I don't yeah. know how deep I don't know how deep it was, uh, but it certainly is provocative. <laughs> it, it sort of ties into your book, Freeing Jesus. And in that book, you write about both why and how so many people who have left organized religion behind, they still hold on to their faith. So, you know, the challenge of like distilling an entire book and all of your work down to one thought, but like, what is an interesting reality or trend you discovered about that interplay between organized religion and spirituality while you were working on that book? Yeah, it's fun to talk to you all because, I mean, I have written a lot uh, over the last decade about shifts around spirituality, shifts around theology, you know, how people can possibly have a life of faith. Um, But, uh, in some ways, I think that the work that I did in a book called Christianity After Religion is sort of most oh, yeah. relevant to Ted Lasso. And uh, the reason why I think it's the most relevant work is because there's a whole, the, the whole middle section of Christianity After Religion is about the nature of belief. And mm. the, the brief story about that book is the point that I make regarding believe. And I think this is why I got so excited about the sign is that in the old world, the world of that conventional church, you know, the Church of England, the church that everybody is so uncomfortable in, um, in the second season, that old world used to say something like, believe these things and you are a Christian. You know, believe this creed and then you are a part of this community. You're a member here. You can count. And um, in Christianity After Religion, one of the things that I point out is that belonging, being part of a community, being accepted comes first in the 21st century. And and belief flows out of community. So instead of believing first and then being a member of a church, what I think has happened in Western culture, and this includes England and the United States and pretty much anywhere where Christianity used to be really strong like this, is that the what we now move towards is finding spaces where we're accepted, spaces where we can be ourselves, spaces where we find friends. And so, you, you know, Higgins makes the comment in the Christmas episode that um, along the way, we have the family we're born into and we have the family we make. Mm. And in effect, in the 21st century, it's the families we make that become the locus of what we believe to be true about the nature of the universe. And so I think that that's what's happening in this, 
you know, the belief sign just hanging there is like there's the belief of the old world that said, you know, just believe these kinds of things. You're going to be accepted. Believe this and your life will be perfect. Believe this and you're going to go to heaven. But all of that falls apart. And instead, what is being what is happening is that there's this community that is being formed, a community of people who, who know what it means to believe in themselves who know what knows what it means to believe in in one another and who know what it means to believe in a sort of a, you know, a common passion or a common mm-hmm. hope for the world, in this case, winning, you know, a, a game. Um, yeah. And so it's out of that community, I think that new dimensions of belief are being born and, mm-hmm. and that the sign is actually shifting its meaning. And so maybe, Maybe Nathan, I mean, Nathan, he's so mad about it, but maybe that sign needs to be ripped up at the end of the second season. Maybe that's like we hear people now talk about how they're deconstructing their faith. Uh, Maybe the ripping of the belief sign is about someone just saying, you know, no, this just doesn't this just doesn't work. Right. Um, And so they're in effect, you know, deconstructing belief. But but I think that in Nate's you know, case, he's also, you know, sort of doing it as an act of violence against the community that he feels has betrayed him. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's really incredible. I'm An interesting kind of tie into what you're talking about, about a space where people belong is really like in soccer community, football community. And we do see there's kind of that spiritual imagery when um, the guys from the pub are allowed into the, the soccer stadium like when it's closed and they get in and they almost have, like they have this religious spiritual experience there, like frolicking mm-hmm. in the grass. And it yeah. reminds me of the Portland Timbers, the soccer team there, their supporters, the Timbers Army. They have this mantra that is, if you want to be Timbers Army, you are. And so it's like you're saying the first, you know, ideally like the first statement that's being made is you belong here. And then from there, you learn the songs, you learn the ethos, you get as... um soccer parlance would say like stuck in mm-hmm. and that's probably why a lot of times people consider their supporters group in football like their church community because it's functioning like you're saying come be and then let's figure out how to be together yeah yeah and there are a couple lots of different places in the show that function in that way the pitch functions in that mm-hmm. way of course yeah. i hadn't thought about that scene where the three guys go up on the field and it's just like <laughs> completely joyous <laughs> and uh and it's in that joy that you know clearly something is happening to them that's that's pretty exciting and so but the pub is that way yes um pastor may yeah <laughs> <laughs> and so that's a space where people are making community and where um uh, levels of belief and hope and all those things are changing and the other thing is the therapist's office mm. Yeah, I think the therapist's office and the and all the comfort that people have in the therapist's office versus the uncomfortableness in the church. Yeah, is pretty interesting. That is interesting. <laughs> and in the juxtaposition, I guess, of like Ted, the person who would probably be most comfortable in the church, being totally uncomfortable in the therapist's office, like just can't even for a while. Yeah, and th- that's the. I'm I'm still sort of playing with this this whole idea about the death of God in the, mm-hmm. yeah. the second season, and um, what I think is fascinating is that when Nathan says, "Is it okay if I pray?" and Ted says, "Well, it depends on what God and in what language." 
And I thought, I thought, what a weird thing to say. Why does he say that? But then you meet the therapist later in that question, uh, later in that episode. And she's a, she's a black woman and she speaks a different language to everyone who comes into her office. She speaks Spanish to Danny. She speaks French. And it's like, oh my gosh, you know, Mm. so which God, and I, I have tons of friends who are who are black women who are theologians. And so they're always arguing that, you know, God should be seen as a as a black woman. Oh yeah. And yep. so and so you get this black woman who comes into the scene and what is she doing? But she's speaking different languages. And it's like, oh my gosh, are they really seriously? Could could anybody who's a writer here have any idea that um and she becomes a godlike figure yeah you know she she sits above the pitch and she watches and and it's like oh i wonder if they're trying to do something with that you know make that point that somehow her office and that relationship is becoming sort of the location the new location for where belief is being redefined yeah because we see Characters like Colin, whose renewed belief in himself, you know, that self-confidence, to put it another way, like allows his uh, relationships to improve with other people, too. And his relationship with himself, um, both which are both of which are very important things to do. And so, yeah, I think I think you're on to something there. Definitely. I want to go back a little bit to the points you were making about community and how believe functions in that way. And, you know, what you all were talking about, Christian, and how. Your found family, something that Higgins mentions, you know, that's that's a big a big part of season two and a big part of our culture in the 21st century, how that helps define and shape your beliefs. You have an essay titled How to Heal Our Divides, in which you talk a little bit on the, the subject title, Healing Divides. I'm curious about two things. One is like, obviously, how unifying Ted Lasso has been and why do you think that's the case? And then maybe also comment on how, you know, as we find these families and we forge these beliefs, like how we can avoid becoming too clickish or then becoming exclusive in a different way. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that Ted Lasso, you know, first of all is I think that on the simplest level is that we all want something that's happy right now. Yeah. Um, and that just having a space to, to breathe and, and then also, you know, maybe there is some magic in a sense that the believe sign does perform because everybody is so, not just only exhausted and angry all the time, but cynicism is Mm. really sort of just very strong across our whole culture. And the idea that somebody can walk into a room and hang up a believe sign and be perfectly sincere about it is like, we're rooting for him. And, And does that mean that there's something there that we're really all rooting for in ourselves? You know, maybe we all want to move past the sort of the, the influencer culture and the egoism of, you know, celebrity and the sort of the nastiness of all of the division. And, and so the, the, just the gentle suggestion that there's something hopeful and something sort of Kansas yeah. <laughs> for all of us, you know, is, is refreshing, you know, I think in the 21st century. And so in a sense, I think there's a, that we move towards those pieces of our own soul where we know we've been empty. So we find something in that longing and all of a sudden you look across the table and it's other people there who like this too. And we're seeing these shortfalls. So, so I think that that's really very powerful. 
And the second piece of your question, I don't really kind of, I mean, this is just through the way you phrase it. It just kind of occurred to me while we were here together is that maybe another part of the show that people find compelling is that the community that's being created on Ted Lasso is really a community of outsiders and a community of people who are incredibly diverse. And so you have, everybody feels like they're not loved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everybody feels like, you know, their parents treat them poorly, except maybe maybe Keely. I mean, I think there's probably she's mm. she seems fairly self-assured in certain ways yes. compared to everybody else. Um, and everybody has these, you know, sort of secrets that they feel like, you know, have disconnected them from other human beings. And so everyone's like an outsider. And then you get the team and look at what, you know, they're from all over the place. Mm-hmm. You know, they, I mean, there's no... There's no real common language. There's no real common culture. There's no common experience. I mean, they're all this incredibly diverse group. Um, and so the question is, how do you become, how do you make community with outsiders? And how do you make community among people who don't fundamentally share almost anything? Yeah. Except this, except this game. But Ted doesn't share yeah. the game. He doesn't know anything about the game. <laughs> and he comes in, he has to be the be in charge. Uh, so 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 I, I love this question is, you know, how do you make community from these disparate elements? And maybe that's the question we're all asking right now. Yeah, and in that essay, How to Heal Our Divides, you talk about we need to heal our divides so that we can heal ourselves. Right. And I typically like apply those things the other way around. So, okay, I need to get right so that I can whatever, like love other people better or stop beefing with people or um, just like be, I guess, content in the spaces that I'm in, which has been hard because kind of as a, a philosophical minority, like I just think differently than a lot of people in the spaces that I operate. And so I think now late, late pandemic, it's been like, okay, we have to get through this so I can get right, so I can be better with people. But you've sort of like flipped that, or maybe it's cyclical. But in a society that's trying to be spiritual, but that doesn't operate with organized religion as a bedrock, can you think of places outside of the examples we see in Ted Lasso where people can go to find this, um, I guess, like unification communally and then personal healing? Yeah, I don't think we have a whole lot. And I think that that's why a show like this actually has so much energy behind it is that mm. that people are looking at that and thinking, gosh, I wish I was part of a community like that. In some ways, one of the, the episodes that I found myself most envious um, was the Christmas episode. Yeah. Yep. When everybody is sitting around the table, essentially, you know, and from, you know, the perspective which I do my work. I literally saw that as uh, Eucharist, you know, it was like the Lord's Supper, like this amazing welcome communion where everyone's sitting around the table, passing food that creates bonds of love, even deep, deeper bonds of love and welcome and hospitality and all that kind of thing. And so I think that right now we're really at a, a lack of spaces like that. And is it our fault? I don't know. I certainly see the places in my own heart where I'm quick to judge and not necessarily quite as curious as I should be, you know, about other about other people is, you know, 
when an opportunity to be in community presents itself, I think, well, do I want to be there? Is it safe? You know, or do I want to be there? Why I can't hang around with Republicans. Oh my gosh. You know, or what if that person says something on Twitter and they get canceled? Will I get canceled because I've seen hanging around with them. And so literally we have an entire culture that's built on division and judgment. And yet I think that all of us really want the table. Mm. And so the table doesn't exist right now. Yeah. One of the, one of the places of division in the Ted Lasso community is, you know, should Apple release entire seasons at once or should they do like the weekly thing? And my argument for them releasing episodes week by week was that it was really fun to have a week where like the Ted Lasso community would come online on Twitter and sort of like bond over this one thing in a way that's different from a lot of shows. Like I remember people going online to talk about Game of Thrones, but it was really to like complain about it for a week. And so like with Ted Lasso, it was to sort of like soak in it, I guess, for um, a week. So like maybe Ted Lasso is functioning as one of those, you know, spaces where people can hang out together, I guess. I don't know. But we'll see. We'll see what your thoughts are maybe after you watch season three, if you choose to like watch the trickle or if you wait to binge the whole thing again. Oh, I will. I'll watch the trickle this next time because <laughs> um, I want to be part of the conversation, you know, and. I, I, I really, you know, I, I think they are trying to say stuff about all of these things, um, yeah. you know, about community, about what it means to really make family, about how we can come back together, what healing is, you know, our longings to believe in something uh, yes. that is meaningful and beautiful and gives us a, a deep sense of purpose um, in the universe. You know, I think sometimes one of the funnier scenes I don't remember exactly where it was, but Ted and Rebecca are talking and he said, oh, gosh, you're looking at me the way someone looked at me when I was wearing a red hat and walked into a Planned Parenthood meeting. (laughs) (laughs) I wear a baseball cap and walked into a Planned Parenthood meeting. And and I thought to myself, you know, isn't that us all right now? You know, we always feel like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to say here? I'm going to wear the wrong thing and I'm going to walk into a room and everyone's going to reject me. And yet Ted Lasso is moving the other direction and saying, no, you're going to walk into this room and you're going to feel rejected. But believe us, we're going to make something here and you're going to find uh, what you can trust, what you can be devoted to and what you can what and who you beloved by being together. And and that's a, that's powerful. I wish all churches would, <laughs> would go there, um, maybe just in their basements even. we're gonna wrap up with a couple quick hitter questions that we have um music is so much a part of ted lasso do you have a favorite musical moment from the show so far a song that showed up that you really loved or thought was used particularly poignantly you know that's not really kind of my strong suit because i think that i i just don't know enough uh, about music to to say that i i do like the way that music makes me feel uh, through the yeah. show. Um, and I think that I get, I guess the thing that I really like is I like it when Rebecca sings, <laughs> you know, yes. she's such a talented, you know, she's so talented. That's what she does for a living, you know, West, West End singer in shows. And so when she surprised everyone with the karaoke, you know, was amazing. And then I think also just the, 
the warmth and the kind of nostalgic moment of the Christmas mm-hmm. scene where they're standing in the street singing. And so, um, so those are things that I really like, you know, when music takes me to a place of unity or, or um, I, I think memory. Yeah. And I can imagine yep. myself there. And so, so that's where I like music. Again, my my daughter is a huge Mumford and Sons fan, and my husband is always saying, "Oh, that's the perfect use of that song in that scene." And it's like, "Well, honey, what are they saying?" You know. <laughs> that's why you have to watch the show in community. So you know, that's right. That's right. To each other. <laughs> well, you're definitely not alone in your love for uh, Hannah Waddingham's vocal, and I think the two things that always blow people's mind is that. Yes, it's really her singing. That's always like the first question that I see people like that's a frequent Google about the show. And then they find out that she's actually not singing at like 100% of her full like ability because she she doesn't believe that like a random football manager should be able to sing like West End level talent. So it's funny that she's like even that is like her like only 80% of her, you know, her actual performance. So that's people always get a little bit wowed by that. And then, of course, you fall down the rabbit hole of shaky West End, you know, illegal camera, you know, copyright infringement, but you get to hear her sing these amazing songs. So yeah, she's wonderful. In season two, there are a lot of liturgical and like high church jokes. Did you have a favorite one? Oh gosh. I just, I, you know, I think the thing that I love the most was there just all the riffs around the funeral and and everybody sort of stumbling around in anglicanism <laughs> and what i what i loved about that is that everybody who comes into an anglican church stumbles around in anglicanism i mean it was like even anglicans <laughs> and so there was this sort of lovely like okay vicar of dibley kind of awkwardness <laughs> Thing that was going on in that whole scene and talking when the priest is saying, you know, please be quiet. And, uh, so, so yeah, I just, I, I just kind of laughed at the whole, the whole thing in a nice way. You know, I didn't feel like yes, I had to correct their liturgy. Although I do know Anglicans who would do that. <laughs> <laughs> Very on brand. <laughs> That's right. And I always think the Church of England would be so much better off if it recognized how much more it's sort of like a Monty Python sketch than it is like a really sort of, you know, serious uh, institution, you know. And so so I think Ted Lasso moves in the Monty Python sketch direction with the Church of England and it just works perfectly. Which lands us in a perfect place because Hannah Waddingham played Lady of the Lake in the Broadway and West End productions of Spam a lot. So, you know, it all the energy just continues to cycle around and to to be amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time today. This was uh, a particular pleasure for us to get to visit about some of your work that we have enjoyed and found meaningful. And yeah, to hear all of your thoughts, you have now given us a lot to think about mm-hmm. as we continue to rewatch Ted Lasso season two. And we'll look forward to getting to watch it via Twitter with you season three. Well, I can't wait. And, you know, you can trust that I'm going to be looking at, you know, how you put belief back together once you've torn it apart. So <laughs> it's like, once you've gone through the deconstruction, is there anything on the other side? And also, you know, what about the death of dog? No, <laughs> can yeah. you actually have belief after the dog dies? So <laughs> this is why we have to put our trust in Macy Greyhound, who was revealed at the end of the second season. Yes, <laughs> that's right. The puppy is here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. 
Well, thank you so much again. Take care. Thank you, guys. And that is our show. We hope you enjoyed our discussion with Diana Butler Bass. You can check out the show notes for links to her social media accounts, her writings, her website, her newsletter, and all the other cool stuff we talked about in this episode. We'll be back soon with more Ted Lasso conversations, but you can keep the conversation going with us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle on both is at Ted Lasso Pod. This episode of Richmond Till We Die is brought to you by Jen and Kerosene Productions. It was produced by my pal Christian and myself. If you enjoy this podcast, we humbly ask that you head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave us a five-star rating or review. It helps us out and it helps other people find and hear the show. All right, I'm Brett, signing off for Christian and Diana Butler-Bass. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Cheers, y'all. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.